Welcome to another episode of the OBG Med Student Podcast. I'm Dr. Tanya Wright, the OB-GYN Clerkship Director here at the Hershey Medical Center, Penn State College of Medicine, and today we have a guest that will be discussing dysmenorrhea and endometriosis. Dr. Linda Lee is one of our excellent fourth-year residents here at the Hershey Medical Center. Today, we will take some time to review educational topic number 38 of the APGO Learning Objectives, which covers endometriosis, and educational topic number 46, which covers dysmenorrhea. If you'd like to follow along for both of these cases, you can do so by logging on to www.apgo.org backslash students. You can also follow along in your Beckman textbook, the 8th edition, chapter 31 and chapter 32. Dr. Lee, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so we're going to start with the case as outlined in educational topic number 46. There's a lot of overlap here, and I think that it's important for us to be able to build on both of these concepts together. So this is a 14-year-old G0 female who has severe dysmenorrhea for the past six months. She began menstruating 10 months ago, and her first two periods were pain-free and two months apart. Since then, she has been menstruating every 28 days with associated nausea, diarrhea, and headaches. She misses school due to the pain, and she only gets partial relief when she uses three to four Advil three or four times during her period. She is not sexually active. She's a very good student. She's involved in sports and after-school programs. She's otherwise healthy and has a non-contributory social history. Her mother does has a history, have a history of endometriosis, but otherwise unremarkable. You perform a physical exam, Dr. Lee, and her vital signs were completely normal. Her abdominal exam was benign. The pelvic exam is deferred as she is not sexually active, but you do obtain an abdominal pelvic ultrasound. On the ultrasound, her uterus is a normal size. It's anti-flexed, normal appearing ovaries, no adnexal masses. There are multiple small sub-centimeter follicles in the ovaries, but no other abnormalities. Her labs were notable for urinalysis that was negative for blood, nitrites, and leukocytes. So in reviewing this case, I wanted to start with some definitions. What is dysmenorrhea, and how does primary dysmenorrhea differ from secondary dysmenorrhea? So dysmenorrhea is defined as painful menstruation. Um, it is very common and it contributes to recurrent disability in about 10 to 15% of women in their early reproductive years. And primary dysmenorrhea is uh, defined as painful menstruation without an associated underlying pathology. Um, it usually begins with onset of ovulation. It is very, very common up to about 90% of teenagers. And the pathophysiology is due to an excess of prostaglandins, specifically F2-alpha, production in the endometrium. And this is a potent smooth muscle stimulant that causes intense contractions of the uterus resulting in pain. The systemic effects of this prostaglandin include nausea, fatigue, irritability, dizziness, diarrhea, and headache in about 45% of uh, patients. On exam, as demonstrated by this patient, there's not any sort of abnormal physical findings uh, for primary dysmenorrhea. On the other hand, secondary dysmenorrhea uh, is defined as painful menstruation caused by an identifiable underlying condition. Those can be separated into three different causes, um, extrauterine, intramural, and intrauterine. In the extrauterine causes, 
they can be further classified as endometriosis, tumors, pelvic inflammatory infection, adhesions, or in the rare cases, psychogenic. In the second block of intramural causes, that could be adenomyosis, uh, which are endometrial glands within the wall of the uterus, or myomata, uh, which are fibroids um, within the wall of the uterus. And then in the third category of intrauterine causes, that could be again a fibroid, polyps, endometritis, an infection of the uh, lining of the uterus, or cervical stenosis that can cause blockage of outflow of blood. So what additional evaluation would be needed for this patient then? As with all patients, a careful history is important and is needed in most cases of primary dysmenorrhea. A pelvic exam in this young patient is not necessary. However, sometimes it could be needed for the presumptive diagnosis of primary dysmenorrhea. However, if an appropriate treatment fails to relieve the symptoms within three months, a pelvic exam and additional evaluation, such as ultrasound or further evaluation of the inside of the uterus, such as a hysteroscopy, or from the outside, like a laparoscopy, is needed to rule out a secondary cause, such as endometriosis. So if this patient is thought to have primary dysmenorrhea, then what would be the treatment strategies for her? So the first-line treatment strategy for primary dysmenorrhea would be an NSAID or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent such as um, ibuprofen or Aleve. Um, others include a combination hormonal contraceptive such as a pill or ring or patch, or you can only do a progesterone-only contraceptive such as an implant or the depo injection. And those might provide effective contraception as well as improve the symptoms of dysmenorrhea. And the reason that NSAIDs are first signed is because they are prostaglandin synthesis inhibitors, um, such as uh, ibuprofen or Aleve, um, while hormonal contraception, they inhibit the ovulation and progesterone stimulation of prostaglandin production. Usually within about three months of starting hormonal contraception, 90% of women experience an improvement. So that just about covers primary dysmenorrhea, but when we're considering causes of secondary dysmenorrhea, such as endometriosis, what are some of the things that would make you suspicious of that in this patient as well as in other patients? Yeah, and someone who's older than this 14-year-old, maybe in their 30s or late 20s, and they're experiencing infertility, that might be a key uh, that makes you suspicious for endometriosis. And with infertility specifically, they can be present in about 25 to 50% of patients with endometriosis. And in women with endometriosis, up to 50% can experience infertility. Other symptoms can have cyclical lower abdominal or pelvic pain, back pain, dyspareunia, or painful intercourse. And in uh, this 14-year-old case, her family history with her mom with a history of endometriosis can be indicative of her having endometriosis as well. Yeah, we like to think of that symptom triad, right? So dysmenorrhea, dyskesia, or pain, painful bowel movements, and dyspareunia, painful intercourse. Mm-hmm, the Ds. The Ds. <laughs> um, really good. So. What is endometriosis? You know, it's so common. We hear about it so often. Like, why does this actually happen? So there are many different theories of how endometriosis happens, and it is defined as a presence of endometrial tissue outside of the uterus, um, the most common site uh, being the ovaries. Other sites could be in fallopian tubes, the cul-de-sac, the uterosacral ligaments, the bra ligaments. 
Um, and specifically adenomyosis is the presence of endometrial tissue within the myometrium or the muscle layer of the uterus. And these deposits outside of the endometrium, they respond to hormone stimulation and that results in inflammation, thereby leading to dysmenorrhea, dyspareunia, pain, infertility. The symptom can range from a spectrum minimal to debilitating where it's affecting their activities of daily living. These implants can also be superficial, they can occur on the peritoneum, they can again be in the ovary or deeply infiltrative. The inflammatory cells um, that occur with the inflammation of endometriosis, they break down red blood cells and that leads to the the typical lesion of the um, burnt marks, the pigmented lesions that we see when we do um, surgery. Speaking of which, can you just review with us the most common size of endometriosis then? Sure, those are the ovaries uh, in the form of an endometrioma or chocolate cyst, um, the uteral sacral ligaments, um, and the recto and uh, vesicovaginal septae, this plane that separates the rectum from the vagina and the bladder from the vagina. Dr. Lee, I know that researchers spend you know, a lifetime trying to figure out why this happens. What are some of those theories that exist for why this happens to some patients? Yeah, the most common and the most accepted theory, I think, is Samson's theory of retrograde menstruation, uh, where the implantation of the endometrial glands and stroma to the peritoneal tissue arise from retrograde menstrual flow. Um, other theories could be hematogenous in nature or lymphatic in nature. Some other theories include stem cells from bone marrow or colomic metaplasia, which is the epithelium lining of the body wall and abdominal organs. And this is also called the germinal epithelium of the gonads. In uh, females, it's differentiated into granulosa cells, and in males, it's differentiated into Sertoli cells. But the the key point is that the retrograde menstrual flow is the most likely pathogenesis of endometriosis. Very good. So say you had an older patient and you performed a pelvic exam, what would be some of the physical findings that would help you to confirm that this is in fact endometriosis? On pelvic exam, you might find some tender nodular uteral sacral ligaments on pelvic or rectal vaginal exam. Um, you might find that the uterus is very fixed and retroverted or curved backwards in the abdominal cavity. Or you might find an ovarian mass that's on one side or bilaterally that's uh, likely an endometrioma or that chocolate cyst. Yeah, and I guess I'd like to also add that it's possible to have a completely normal exam and still have pretty significant disease. And you know, it isn't until we had the opportunity to look in with a camera and diagnose it that sometimes we're able to confirm that they do in fact have endometriosis. Absolutely. What are some alternative diagnoses for patients that present a little bit older with pelvic pain, dyspareunia, infertility? What are some of the other reasons why that we should consider on our differential diagnosis? Yeah, and someone with chronic pelvic pain, you should also consider a chronic pelvic inflammatory disease. Maybe if someone who's had surgeries in the past, some adhesions can cause that pain. And there's other organs outside of the GYN organ system, believe it or not, um, such as the gastrointestinal conditions, or even the bladder, such as interstitial cystitis. If someone who has chronic dysmenorrhea, they could just be, like we talked about earlier, primary or other causes of the secondary dysmenorrhea. 
And then with dyspareunia or painful intercourse, again, consider those chronic pelvic inflammatory disease or they might have other ovarian cysts other than endometriomas. So again, many conditions can be both gynecologic and non-gynecologic in nature, and they can present very similar to endometriosis. And the reverse can also be true. So for a patient that you're concerned could potentially have endometriosis, how do you go about clinching that diagnosis? I think the key is that endometriosis is a tissue diagnosis that requires a biopsy. So it is a surgical diagnosis. And usually what we do is a laparoscopy and we visualize and biopsy any lesions that look abnormal. But we can't forget to do that history and physical exam as with any patient as a first step. Yeah, a lot of times you're able to make a presumptive diagnosis and actually initiate treatment just based on a really thorough history and physical exam. And we reserve direct visualization um, for patients that need that confirmed diagnosis. Um, What are some of the protocols that we use to stage endometriosis? The American Fertility Society staging system is usually used to stage endometriosis, especially in in someone who is struggling with infertility. Um, In this system, the points are assigned for either size or depth of the implants and for severity of adhesions in the various pelvic locations. And this stage range from one to four based on how many points someone can accumulate. And this can also guide management of the endometriosis based on the stage and their desire for fertility. Another protocol is the American Society of Reproductive Medicine um, that correlates with fertility potential and quantified stage of disease. This staging includes some color of the lesions, percentage of surface involved, and some detailed description of endometriomas. Thank you so much for that review, Dr. Lee. Just before we leave, I just wanted to talk a little bit about treatment options for endometriosis, which is a very common reason that women present with secondary dysmenorrhea. It's thought to be found in at least 10% of premenopausal women um, and 71 to 87% of women with chronic pelvic pain. How do we treat patients for endometriosis? Sure. It uh, definitely depends on what the patient comes in with in terms of symptoms and severity, how it affects their life. Um, and if they have desire for future childbearing, um, that may be dependent on their age as well. Um, and if they have other systemic effects of the GI or urinary tract involvement. So treatment can range from expectant management um, in someone who has minimal symptoms or disease or patients who are trying to conceive because the mainstay of uh, medical management is NSAIDs and the combined estrogen progesterone contraceptive pill. Sometimes you can use progestins alone or even danazole or a gonadotropin-releasing hormone antagonist or agonist. Um, And then lastly, the most invasive uh, option would be a surgical uh, management, such as removal of the endometriomas and uh, ablating the endometriosis implants um, to to have um, a more definitive approach. Um, You might have to do a hysterectomy with a bilateral salpingo and oophorectomy, meaning removal of both the ovaries and tubes. Got it. So I guess the key point here would be that the management would be dependent on a number of different factors, including their fertility preservation, um, their level of symptoms, 
and the location of the endometriosis. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for such a comprehensive review, starting with a case on dysmenorrhea and then really branching out into um, endometriosis as a very common cause of secondary dysmenorrhea. Um, we hope to have you back another time to ask you more questions on more uh, women's health topics. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lee. Thank you.